Amen and amen. I would invite you to take your copy of the Lord's Word and turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2 is we're going to begin a new series taking us all the way to Christmas Day. And I'm going to do the absolute unthinkable. I'm going to talk about Christmas before Thanksgiving is here. I was, uh, yesterday I went to, my wife and I were doing some housework and I went to go get her a coffee. She said I would like a coffee from this particular place and I went there and it was, it was a local shop. It was uh, not in town, but um, anyway, it was a local shop. And I went in and uh, I looked and I'm, I'm just not a coffee connoisseur or anything like that. I, I'm, my favorite coffee in the world is McDonald's black coffee in the morning I, with nothing in it. I'm just really plain. But um, all of Andrea's favorite coffees have really strange names. And uh, anyway, I'm, maybe you're married to one of those and I absolutely adore my wife. But uh, she really likes her coffee. So uh, there's all these names, and it was a different coffee shop because it was a local deal, and I didn't recognize any of them. Uh, so I called her, and I just said, I, you're going to have to tell me what these mean and what you want here because they're asking me what you want, and I don't really know what you want uh, because I don't recognize any of these names. And she said, well, uh, I really would like some holiday coffee. Now, holiday coffee, what she means by that is peppermint. She likes the peppermint flavor holiday. So I said, oh, okay. And so I said, hey, do you all have uh, holiday coffee? And uh, the lady said, oh, yeah, yes, sir, we do. Yes, sir, we've got cinnamon and pumpkin spice. And uh, I said, honey, it's cinnamon and pumpkin spice. And she said, well, no peppermint. I said, ma'am, do you have any peppermint? Her whole expression changed. And she said, what kind of place do you think this is? <laughs> it's not Thanksgiving yet. I said, sweetheart, we're not getting peppermint until December, okay? <laughs> but anyway, the coffee was delicious, but you can't get peppermint until after Thanksgiving. But we are going to start, we are going to start on Christmas a little bit early, and we're going to talk about the wise men. And the reason you've got to start early is because the wise men don't even show up at Christmas anyway. You know, I don't know if you have a biblically accurate nativity set at your house, but the nativity set that we have at our house, it has the wise men and the shepherds all gathered around a manger. Well, David Langerfield a few years ago just blew that whole thing up for me and I just ruined it because I thought it was pretty impressive. And then he pretty much told me that nothing about our nativity sets actually match what the scripture says and teaches. And he's right. The scripture never says anything about a donkey, never says anything about camels, never says anything about cattle lowing or anything like that. And then also it never says anything about a stable, just that Jesus was put into a manger. And that just messes up everything, right? But let's be biblical. But one of the things that is for sure, in Matthew chapter number 2, when you read the story of the wise man, is they are most definitely not at the stable where the manger and the birth of Jesus took place. Uh, they've already moved into town, into Bethlehem. We don't know exactly how much time had passed from the night of Jesus' birth to when the wise men show up. But clearly, the wise men had to start traveling a long time before they got to Christmas. So, for instance, if you want to have a biblically accurate nativity set this year, here's what you need to do. You need to set up the manger... And you need to put the baby and Mary and Joseph there. And then you can put the shepherds around the outside of the manger because, you know, they did come the night of the birth. Then you need to go off down the hall and then put the wise men somewhere because they are journeying from afar, right? And then you can have a biblically accurate manger scene. 
But we are going to talk about the wise man in this series that's going to take us all the way to Christmas Day called Twinkle, Twinkle. Not Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, but today we're going to talk about the promised star. We're going to begin by asking who are the wise man, men and what do they teach us about God's promises? Who are the wise men and what do they teach us about God's promises? Well, just to give a little bit of history as we get in, because there's going to be a lot of information today, a lot of background today, and then more applicational things as we go forward in this series together. So I would invite you to be a part of this week by week as we look at the lives of the wise men. So just a little bit of background information. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he was born into occupied territory. Now, we are going to know from our story, as we read in a few weeks, that he is born king of the Jews, except it's interesting that this time the Jews did not have a kingdom. They are politically occupied by the Roman government over off in Europe is dominating. They're dominated by a foreign power and have been dominated by foreign powers for some time. There's lots of tension going on. There are those that believe that Israel should be its own nation. There are those that are willing to fight, called the zealots, to ensure that Israel is, the own, is going to be its own nation. There are those that say, no, listen, we just need to be politically savvy here and do our best to keep the peace. And you find those members of the Sanhedrin in a group called the Sadducees. There's all kinds of political movements and arrangements. But one of the things we know about the story of the Bible is this, is the politics were always changing. The story of the Bible is this, is the politics were always changing. Whether you're in the Old Testament or you're in the New Testament, if there's one constant, it's that politics always change. And this is the context of which the wise men show up. So we're going to read today in verses 1 and 2, just two verses this morning, beginning with me together in the scripture Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, I just told you that the Jews did not have a kingdom. That's correct. Herod the king, who was not completely Jewish, uh, Herod the king was king of the Jews, but he was appointed by the Romans. He had no connection to the traditional Jewish line of the kingdom of David. In fact, what's interesting is that if you were to read Matthew chapter 1, Look there in your scripture. What's the very first verse of Matthew saying? What is found first before any story is found? What's the first thing you find in Matthew? It's a genealogy. Let's look in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, who was David? Well, David was the king of the Jews. So, 
It's interesting that when you look at that and Jesus' family line comes from the king of Israel, and then in chapter 2, the first thing you read about is an imposter. This is not the real king. This is just the king of the current political regime. But the real king is being born and has been born. But anyway, it's interesting how those things fit together. But let's work through this today. Who are the wise men and what did they teach us about God's promises? Well, I'm glad you asked. Now, if you have your particular copy of the Lord's Scripture, uh, the KJV translates the word wise men as wise men. But if you were to look, for instance, I can look in my uh, copy If you look in your scripture and you drop down, there's typically a footnote. Look after in verse number one where it says wise men. Do you have a footnote? And if you drop down to the bottom of your page in that fine print that you have to be under the age of 40 to read. um, What does it say? Also known as what? Do you see it? The Magi. The Magi. Now I know you've heard that before. The Magi. Who, who are the Magi? Well, that's actually the word. It's left untranslated. Magi is an untranslated, transliterated word taken from Greek, put into English. That's what it literally is. It means wise men, but the actual word is Magi. Now, so the original word for wise men is Magi. Now, Magi is a plural word. You might find this interesting. Magus is the singular form of the plural magi. So, for instance, when you read, behold, wise men, you know, hey, there's more than one. Now, you may or may not know this, but we don't know exactly how many wise men there are or were. Why do we say three? Somebody tell me. Three gifts. And we knew they had to be Baptist because one gift apiece, right? But three gifts, and we are told that, hey, there are plural, there are not a magus, but magi. There are plural wise men, so the three gifts leads us to believe that there were three wise men. So, how do we deal with this? Well, let's talk about the magi. The magi were primarily from Babylon and Persia. And were the keepers of wisdom and knowledge. The Magi were primarily from Babylon and Persia and were keepers of wisdom and knowledge. Had the privilege of going in 2019 with Pastor David Langerfield to the Holy Land. And when we went to the Church of the Nativity, there is this beautiful church that has been preserved. And it was one of the few places that was not overrun by Muslims in the early centuries. Because when they invaded the Church of the Nativity, they looked up on the wall and saw murals depicting their own people. And they said, wait, let's not tear this down. This this is something special here. Because they see that, oh, well, these these are people from the East like us. So the Magi were primarily from Babylon and Persia and were keepers of wisdom and knowledge. It's interesting in the Old Testament that King Solomon was said to possess the same kind of knowledge and more than the Magi. I don't know if you've ever noticed this verse before. Look at 1 Kings. It'll be on the screen. 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 29 through 30. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure. 
and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all of the people of the, what is the word? East. Who are these people? Well, this, these are the wise men of the East. These are the Magi. So Solomon's wisdom surpassed all the wisdom of all the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. So the Magi were primarily people from Babylon and Persia and were keepers of wisdom and knowledge. Also, the Magi were a ruling priestly class associated with the wizards, magicians, astrologers, and astronomers. Now, I know you may be thinking, Brother Matt, this is church. Why are you talking about these things? Well, the Bible talks about it. There's a book in the Old Testament that talks about these people and even speaks of interaction with this group of people. Uh, The book of Daniel. You see, Daniel, I don't know whether you've noticed this or caught this before, Daniel started among the Magi when he was exported to Babylon. Daniel was among the Magi. He was a Magnus. So, listen to Daniel chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Listen of this word concerning Daniel. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded all the wise men of Babylon to be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel to kill them. Paul's leave that on the screen for just a minute. So here's what happens if you know the story, and you can read about it in Daniel chapter 2. King Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the world, has a dream, and it scares him, and he wants an interpretation, but he does something curious. He tells all the wisdom seekers, all the magi, all the wise men, astrologers and astronomers and the dream interpreters, listen, I've had a dream that has troubled me. I want you to tell me what I dreamed, and I want you to interpret it for me. And if you don't, I'm going to kill all of you. So what happened? Well, the magi come back and say, king, listen, no king, however great or mighty, has ever asked such a thing of people. You tell us the dream and we'll give you the interpretation. And King Nebuchadnezzar pushes back and says, nope, this is what I've firmly decided. You tell me what I've dreamed and its interpretation. Well, they try to stall again, and they say, listen, what you're asking is too difficult. No one can reveal this to the king except the gods, and they don't live among humans. You can read about it in Daniel chapter 2. So the king flew into a rage, and he orders everyone killed, and their houses turned into rubble. King Nebuchadnezzar. And among these people are Daniel and his friends. I don't know if you've ever caught that before. Because the Magi and the wise men were to be executed, that means that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego must be put to death. So what does that mean that Daniel and his friends are among the Magi? So the Magi were a ruling priestly class associated with wizards, magicians, astrologers, and astronomers. And Daniel started among the Magi in Babylon. Also, You can read about in Daniel chapter number two that Daniel was promoted to the chief of the Magi in Babylon. Daniel, if you know the story, actually prays to God and God reveals the dream to Daniel and he reveals its interpretation and he goes and gives the interpretation to the king. And the king is so blessed and impressed that he makes Daniel 
the chief of all of his people and all the wise men, the magi in Babylon. Listen to Daniel chapter 2, verses 46 through 48. Then came Nebuchadnezzar, fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel. Why would he do that? Well, Daniel's just interpreted his dream. And commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king said to Daniel, truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors. Again, magi, priestly ruling class. And many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, and the chief prefect over the wise men of Babylon. So, not only is Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are they among the Magi, now Daniel is serving in the royal court and is ruler over all of the Magi. So, let's talk about this a little further. We get our English word magic or magician from the ancient word magi. I know if you're probably looking at it, you think that word looks familiar. Well, it's where we get our word magic from. But it would be a mistake to say the magi were magicians as we understand them today. For instance, if someone were to come home to your house, your child, your grandchild, your spouse, and say, hey, I saw a magician today. What do you have in your mind? Well, maybe you have a, a street magician, someone doing card tricks. Maybe you imagine someone on stage, someone with a, a tall hat and pulling a, a rabbit out of its hat. But essentially, what you and I think when we hear the word magician is someone doing tricks, someone fooling us, that magic is not real. It's rather, it's someone deceiving you. It's sleight of hand. That's the way we understand the word today. But magicians prior to the Enlightenment, the Enlightenment in Europe, the discovery of logic and reason and the, um, uh, the scientific method and all that, magicians prior to the Enlightenment were the physical, psychological, sociological, astronomical, and medical scientists of their day. Now, we don't use the word magician like that, but in the ancient world, the magicians played a significant role in society, and it was not for sleight of hand. It was for, obviously, keeping people, if they were priestly magicians, but keeping people in good standing with the deity, whatever that is. They were the keepers of the accumulated knowledge of the people, and also they were supposedly experts in contacting the spiritual world. So, it's interesting, uh, he, this guy's credited to be an atheist. I don't think he is an atheist as we understand atheists today, but Friedrich Nietzsche says this. He says, do you believe that the sciences would have arisen and grown if the sorcerers, alchemists, astrologers, and witches had not been their forerunners? So uh, a friend of mine, you all know him, he's on a mission trip today, but Lee Allred, one of the things that I was talking to Pastor Lee about last year, he was sharing with me a mission trip that he went on in the continent of Africa. And they went, he went out to this village, and the, one of the significant people in the villages, beyond the, essentially the mayor or the leader of the tribe, was the witch doctor. 
the witch doctor. Well, why? Well, because the witch doctor is the medical expert. He's the spiritual expert. He's the keeper of the accumulated knowledge of the people. Again, that would be something you can still see in our day and time that should be at least give us a little bit of framework for understanding who the magi and who the wise men were to their particular society. So here's another thing. Not only were the magi, that they were these magicians, and they're not magicians as we understand them today, but the magi were also preservers and accessors of esoteric knowledge. Now, esoteric knowledge just means this, secret revelations or hidden knowledge. Knowledge from the gods, knowledge from the other side, so to speak. So Daniel was among the magi, so he was a magus, and was given esoteric knowledge. He was given a secret word from heaven when he was given the interpretation of the dream. Listen to Daniel chapter 2, verses 26 through 28. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? And I love Daniel's answer. Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the, mi the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in your mind are these. And then Daniel went and began to explain the dream to him. So Daniel was given this clear word of knowledge, this word of knowledge coming from a spiritual or supernatural source. So Daniel made clear esoteric knowledge from God, that's just hidden knowledge, and was, uh, uh, and it was given, excuse me, Daniel made clear esoteric knowledge from God was given and not accessed. The, the way that so much of the world, when it thinks about magicians, is we th they think about conjuring up things and contacting the other side. In fact, this is not new. If you read the Old Testament, especially the book of Leviticus, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, even Deuteronomy, there's a lot of caution, not just caution, but commands concerning conjuring with evil spirits or conjuring up or interacting with foreign deities or contacting the dead, Israel is commanded not to do that. Why? Well, see, post-enlightenment, we just think, well, it's all just sleight of hand. It's all just a bunch of just crazy voodoo nonsense. It doesn't mean anything. Well, the ancients, it meant something very real to them. In fact, the New Testament is clear on this. There is a supernatural, spiritual, unseen world. And it's dangerous because God is not the only spirit who speaks. There are demons. There are fallen angels that are, that are alive and well, so to speak, on the other side. And this is why we are commanded not to do these things. In fact, I remember, you could probably remember stories off the top of your head. Remember the, when Paul went into, into Ephesus and there was a woman who was there. And she was, no, it's not Ephesus, it's Philippi. The woman who was predicting uh, futures. And Paul casts out the demon and she was no longer profitable for the, 
her owners because she could not predict the future anymore because the demons had been cast out and then a riot started and they get thrown in jail. But there are stories in the New Testament that warn us that, hey, listen, there, there are spiritual forces out there that are dangerous and we don't need to mess with those. But Daniel makes clear that true knowledge comes from God. Now, so hopefully you begin to see the wise men and the magicians, the role that they played in other cultures is the preservers of secret knowledge and those who could access secret knowledge. You read about throughout the Bible and throughout history, if a king was going to go to battle, what did he do? He consulted his prophets or his wise men in order that he might find if there's a good omen or a bad omen. This is the group, the magi, that showed up at the birth of Jesus. Now, if you're anything like me, it's like, why is this group of people here? Like, this, this seems like the people like batting for the other team here. Why are they showing up to celebrate the birth of Jesus? Well, it's interesting. Let's keep going. The first mention of a wise man from the east is a man by the name of Balaam. The first mention of a wise man from the east is a man by the name of Balaam. Perhaps you know this story. It is from the book of Numbers. And Balaam was a prophet, and I want you to see, and hopefully you can see this in the text. Let's look together in Numbers 22, verses 1 through 6. It says, this is while Israel it was still in the wilderness, and they just laid waste some of their enemies, and they have not yet possessed the land. And this king decided that he wants to curse Israel, so he hires a wise man. Then the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho. And Balak, son of Zippor, saw that all Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was in great dread of the people because they were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, this horde will now lick up all that is around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, the son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pethor, which is near the river. By the way, if you have a newer translation, it says near the Euphrates River, because anytime you see the river in the Old Testament, it's referring to the Euphrates, which is near the river in the land of the people of Amal. So this is a prophet, a wise man from the east. First time a wise man from the east is mentioned in the scripture. To call him saying, behold, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. For I know th that he whom you bless is blessed and he whom you curse is cursed. So let's see what Balak understands. Balak is thinking, okay, Israel has come into the land. I've got to call in the heavy hitters. I'm going to summon a wise man from the east. And when that wise man comes from the east, I'm going to ask him to speak a curse on these people because Balaam has a reputation. Whoever Balaam blesses, they are blessed. And then whoever Balaam curses, 
they are cursed. So Balaam was a priestly man sought from the east to speak a curse on Israel. Now, I don't have this in your notes, but you know the rest of the story. Who ends up stopping Balaam in his tracks on his way to speak a curse on Israel? The angel and the donkey. The angel and the donkey. The angel of the Lord stood with drawn sword because the angel of the Lord came to Balaam in a night vision and said, listen, if don't curse these people, you bless these people, and don't go with them. And then in the next morning, it's a very interesting passage, the angel of the Lord says to Balaam, well, you can go ahead and go. And then so Balaam goes, and then God apparently has a, for his own purposes, I'm not saying that God changes, but in the story, God changes his mind and decides that, no, Balaam, you're not going to go after all, I'm going to kill you, because you're going to curse my people. And the angel of the Lord is standing with drawn sword. And the donkey stops and Balaam starts to beat his donkey. And the, the funny thing is the donkey eventually speaks to Balaam as if to say, what are you doing? And the most hilarious thing about that is that if you read this, take time to read this story. Balaam does not ask the donkey why he's speaking. It just, the donkey, in fact, we're, out of, we're running short on time, but I'm almost done. This is just so hilarious to me. Um, let me just read it to you. Okay. This is Balaam and the donkey. So... I'm going to read in verse 22. But God's anger was kindled because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way. This is 22, 22. As his adversary. Now he was riding a donkey, and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road and with drawn sword in hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. And the Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord and she lay down under Balaam and Balaam's anger was kindled and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Listen to verse 29. And Balaam said to the donkey, because you've made a fool of me. And I wish I had a sword in my hand and I would kill you. Man, if your donkey talks to you, <laughs> you may want to have a revisiting of what's really going on. Anyway, I don't have time to dwell on that. Balaam proceeds, and after he has this conversation with the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord says, okay, I'm still going to let you go, but you better not speak a single word except the word that I want you to speak. So God is going to speak through this wise man of the east? Well, then everywhere he goes and he speaks an oracle or prayer, Balaam blesses Israel. And the king of Moab, Balak, is like, man, I paid you good money to curse them. And Balaam's like, listen, I got to say what God tells me to say. Well, here's what's interesting. Balaam 
the first wise man of the East, gave a prophetic utterance regarding the future blessing of Israel. I want you to see this verse and see if this might mean anything to you. Look at verse number 24, 17. I see him now. I see him, excuse me, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter, a king, shall rise out of Israel, and it shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheba. It's interesting to me that the first wise man, those keepers of knowledge, those who receive messages from the other side, sometimes through illicit means, received a message about a star rising and a scepter that is coming. So in closing, what do the Magi teach us about God's promises? First is this. God's plan for saving the world has always been bigger than we think. From Think about it. From the birth of Jesus, it was more about Save more than just about saving the Jews. Because the wise men from the east, from Israel's enemies, come to worship him. God's plan for saving the world has always been bigger than we think. Friends, there is a time of which we live, and by the way, it's Veterans Day. I do celebrate being an American, and there is no other place on earth I would rather live. But I was listening to uh, someone talk on television not too long ago, and he said this line. He said, I tell you, America is the light, the light of the world. And I thought, now hold on, America's good. And I'm an American, of course, I'm partial. But America is not the light of the world. Friends, what God is doing in the world does not center around the United States. What God is doing in the world centers around Jesus and his church. And those two things are of utmost importance. Regardless of what's happening in our nation, someone else's nation, the wise men remind us that what God is doing in the world today goes way beyond America. What God was doing in the world when Jesus came into the world went way beyond Israel. So God's plan for saving the world was always bigger than we think. Number two, the revelation of God's plan has always been wider than we think. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that there are other Bibles out there. No, of course not. There's only one word of God. There's only one word of God that's given to us that is fully inspired without error. I embrace all of that stuff. But we are proven from the text that somehow God was communicating with other peoples because wise men show up looking for he who is born king of the Jews. Now you say, how do you fit that into everything and how does that work and stuff like that? I don't know. I don't know how it works. I sat down with a missionary friend of mine from the Middle East. We went to college together, and he's telling me about people that he has shared the gospel with, but the time he shares the gospel with them, they tell him, I've already believed this. This Jesus you're talking about showed up to me in a vision or a dream at night and told me to trust in him. How do you explain that? You don't. My point is this, the revelation of God's plan has always been wider than we think. And the wise men show us this, that God is working in ways sometimes we cannot imagine. 
And then the final thing is this. The people God uses in his plan often surprises us. These are wise men from the east. These are Gentiles. Gentiles, according to Jews, are unclean. But these are not just wise men. These are magi. They're associated with magic. They're associated with all of that evil, wicked stuff. How is it that they are showing up and doing God's stuff and his business? I think it shows us one important thing is that God works wherever, whenever, and with whoever he wants to, to get done what he wants done. And God is not limited to any nation, to any power, to any religious movement, to any group of people, to any ethnic group. God is not limited. God can do whatever he wants with through whomever he wants to do it through to accomplish his purposes in the world. This is what the Magi teaches us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, so many of us, myself included, have a very neatly packed and tightly packed version of what it means for the world to be saved. And Lord, what we think when we think about your good purposes and plan and working all those things for good just does not look like hardly ever what actually happens. Lord, I pray we would think of the wise men today and be reminded that our thoughts are exactly that. They're ours. They're not yours. And you can work wherever, whenever, and with whoever you want to work with and use it for their good and our good to bring Jesus to the world. Lord, thank you for our nation. Lord, let us not come to the place, though, where we believe that this blessed nation is the light because it's not. Jesus, you are the light. Let's take a lesson from the wise men today. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that does not know you, I pray today that they would come to know you in a personal way. Maybe someone needs to follow in believer's baptism if they've seen these children today so bravely follow in baptism. Lord, maybe there's someone here that says it's time. I want to place my membership here at First Baptist Church of Tupelo. Lord, however it is you're working in their lives, have your way at this time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.